Hello and welcome to another episode of Perp Take. I'm joined by Jacob Staley. I'm Ethan Spazarski, Sam Tobacek, and a man who needs no introduction, but he's going to get one anyways. Uh, a man who has been all around the sports world, producing, hosting, even selling equipment for a hotel. <laughs> a Pittsburgh icon, works for 93.7 The Fed, Mr. Chris Mack joins us today. We're gonna, today we're going to be sp- speaking about the Pens and the Steelers, their free agency and trading, see how they've been doing up and down as the season heads up. And we'll touch on to the Pirates. All that more here on Perp Take. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, again, I'm. we are joined today by Chris Mack. We want to thank him real quick for coming out, giving us his time, and uh, letting uh, sitting down with us knuckleheads, talking about sports for a little bit. But real quick, uh, Mr. Mack, have you ever? Did you ever see yourself coming back uh, and doing this? Uh, probably. I, you know what? I probably didn't think of it. Um, but I had the opportunity um, to come back once or twice. Um, right after I graduated, I graduated in '98, um, and Miss Christine Condrat, who was the Perblight advisor back then, I think had me back once or twice in the immediate sort of aftermath of me getting into college and getting through college. Um, so I've been back a few times. Um, Mr. Harrison has had me a couple times now as well. Um, I'll always be very grateful for my time at Baldwin. Um, I joke around and talk about how it was a completely different building because, well, it was like it was when I graduated in 98. um, It was it was completely different. But I I think at the same time, um, growing up in Baldwin and knowing people that still live in the community, uh, some of my best friends in the world who I'm still friends with live in Baldwin, have kids who will be in this building soon, if not one or two who already are. Um, I'm always going to feel not a responsibility cause that makes it sound like an obligation. Um, but I'm always going to feel a certain connection to Baldwin, um, because it's where I went to high school and it's where I spent my formative years. Um, you know, I lived on the other side of Pittsburgh over in like Avalon Bellevue until I was seven, moved to Texas for four years and then in sixth grade, moved back. And when we moved back, we moved in with my grandmother who lived right off of Churchview Avenue in North Baldwin. Um, and then lived on Churchview all the way up through high school um, until my senior year of high school when we had to move to Carrick, but I still came to school here. Um, so I, I'll always feel, like I said, a connection. Some of the bigger non-sports influences in my life, and I guess not even non-sports influences, but like um, Mike Silinoff, who was a geometry and math teacher here for years and was also the defensive coordinator when I played football uh, for a year or two and then later became the head coach. Um, I, I don't think he knows it, but he was a huge impact on me. Um, he, I mentioned when I talked to your, your Perbolate class today, um, Paul Hines. Mr. Hines was a civics teacher when I was here, was a state champion, uh, women's volleyball and softball coach, um, he had a big impact on me, whether he knows it or not. Miss Condrat, who I mentioned, who was the previous Perbolite advisor before Mr. Harrison, was a huge impact on me. Um, there were a ton of teachers here who were a huge impact on me. Uh, you know, Mr. Solanday, who's now out in the North Allegheny School District, uh, but grew up here. Um, you know, it's it's 
important, I think, to you know remember where you came from, so to speak, as I do the air quotes with my fingers. Um, <laughs> but I do think it's important, like it, it, whether it's a thing that's unique to Pittsburgh or unique to Baldwin. Probably not. I think it happens in lots of places where people feel a connection to where they grew up. Um, but I always enjoy coming back. Um, and in some cases, seeing the one or two teachers who were still around when I was here, you know, Miss Klein, for example, um, you know, <laughs> Janine Periton, who's, you know, in the administration now was a classmate and a Purbolite yeah. uh, member with me. So, um, it's cool that that many people are still connected and that I get to be a part of that, I guess. Wow. It's very interesting. Uh, with Purbolite as well, did you ever expect it to um, take off as it has? Like how now we have like a studio, how we have all like the computers and stuff, how we aren't maybe printing as much paper as we usually right. do. Did you ever see that? Like did you ever just really think about it at all? No. I mean I'll be honest. Again, I graduated in 98. So the internet was, you know, for public consumption anyway, the internet was kind of in its infancy. So, for example, where we're sitting right now, uh, in the library, it, uh, this wall right here, kind of behind you, Ethan, that whole wall was a bank of computers. Um, and that was, those were like the compute. Those are the only computers in the school, I think, besides <laughs> like a computer lab. Like, yeah. so the computing power just on earth in general, let alone in Baldwin high school has gone up exponentially. So we had no idea. We would never think that our stuff would be posted on a web page or on the internet, or, um, I don't think anybody could have predicted that really, 24 years ago or whatever it was. Um, I mean, we still put together a hard copy, a print edition of the paper six times a year in a program called Quark, where like you had to drag the article in and paste, and then it would be all out of alignment and you'd have to fix it. And I then, promise that's still around now. <laughs> I promise that is. Yeah. And you'd have to, you know, you'd have to get the pages to line up and then you'd print them out and get sent to an actual printer. It was crazy. Um, and so, no, I, I never predicted that when and if I was invited back, it would be to the point where you guys would have a website, you'd have multimedia, you'd have podcasts. Um, I'll sound like an old man. You guys don't know how good you have it. <laughs> well, I mean, I think of it as well as you got to think of it's the pioneers like yourself that, you know, you set the tone and then everything from there, it's a building block from one step to another that where you can have all of this and where the connections where we have to be able to use this equipment. Well, and, and to be honest, you know, I was just an average everyday member of staff when I was on Purbolite. I would write sports stuff. I would write music reviews, you know, all the stuff that I thought was cool. But there were people, like I mentioned Janine. Uh, there was um, there, there was you know, a kid named Matt Parati, uh, Meredith Verb, all these people who were really the actual leaders of the staff and actually got stuff done when me and other kids were done writing our stuff and would just screw around. Like that, I would not call myself a trailblazer by any means. I was a kid who thought the Purbolite sounded like a cool idea and to be totally honest, a good way to get out of a period or two a day. And so I used it for that, but it did also, like, not to completely downplay it, it also did lead me down the path of journalism, which kind of led me in the direction of radio, which is where I ended up. Wow. Life lessons from Mr. Chris Mack, everybody. <laughs> um, all right. So getting back on to the main topic, why we're all here, why we're gathered together uh, of sports, we'll start off with the most popular league in all of the world, the NFL. Uh, so... This past week, the Pittsburgh Steelers 
we're a little we're busy beavers, as I'll refer to them as. Um, with compared to last year, especially uh, in the free agency pool, getting in some offensive linemen, bringing in some new talent, and maybe even uh, a new star- starting quarterback for the next few years, potentially on seeing how you see how they're going to play it out. How do you think they're going to play it out with Mitch? And do you think they're going to go after Malik or Kenny in the draft? Um, I, I I am not as on board with the idea of Mitch Trubisky as the starting quarterback as a lot of people are. Um, I, I'm an outlier in this regard, in this opinion. Um, I don't know, especially if you look at his numbers over the last 350, 375 pass attempts or so, which is really the totality of Mason Rudolph's career, but his numbers look very similar to Mason Rudolph's. So if you don't like Mason Rudolph, I don't understand why you're excited about Mitch Trubisky other than the fact that he can run better than Mason Rudolph. And that's an important part of the game, especially in today's NFL. Mike Tomlin raved about mobile quarterbacks all year at every press conference where he was asked about it last year. So it's good that Mitch Trubisky is mobile. But I don't think I don't think they did anything more by adding Mitch Trubisky than going from being maybe a 7 or 8 win team to being an 8 or 9 win team. I think the other additions they made in free agency were more impressive. Uh, James Daniels, the guard from the Bears, who's young, um, I think he could be a part of their offensive line for years to come, and they needed somebody like that. Um, I think Levi Wallace, the corner they signed from Buffalo, likewise keeping Akello Witherspoon around next to him, pairing those two with Cam Sutton. I like those three as your starting corners. None of them's sort of a CB1, if you want to put it in those terms, but they're all good second corners. So I like all three of those guys. Um uh, Miles Jack is a guy that has to be more consistent than he was the last couple of years in Jacksonville, and I don't necessarily get excited about the idea of he playing next to Devin Bush. Him and Devin Bush next to each other, I think, are all too similar to each other in their styles. Um, I think they needed sort of a big Kyle Vander Esch run-plugging type guy, um, which, again, if you don't spend $5 bucks on Mitch Trubisky, maybe you've got the money to go do. Because, I mean, well, go ahead, Staley. Oh, I'm t- I'm just saying, like, Mitch Trubisky hasn't, like, been able to prove himself, really. Some of the coaches he's had have, like, held him back. Matt Nagy. Some see him as one of the worst coaches of all time. <laughs> he barely fit the way he wanted to play football. Mitch Trubisky with Mike Tomlin. Matt Canada's offense fits him. Mike Tomlin has bred quarterbacks like this. I see Mitch Trubisky as, like, a potential long-ter- long-term starter for the Steelers. And you know what? If you... Th- if, if your opinion of Mitch Trubisky is that his potential has not even been tapped yet, that's a fair opinion to hold. I, I'm not going to tell you you're necessarily wrong. I'd love to be here a year from now eating a big old heaping plate of crow about Mitch Trubisky and be wrong about him, and the Steelers go, you haven't heard that, Ethan? I've never heard of that crow. before. Yeah. I, I was very confused, but continue, continue. <laughs> the look on your face was like, <laughs> what did he just say? Crow. Um, so, no, I, I'd love to be totally wrong about Mitch Trubisky. I, I'd love him to be more than just a wild card quarterback. Um, I don't think he is. If you believe his potential hasn't, they haven't even scratched the surface of it in Chicago uh, in his one year as a backup in Buffalo, by all means, maybe that ends up proving itself. If Mitch Trubisky wins 12 games and they go to an AFC championship, I will happily be proven wrong, um, and maybe he is a long-term solution. I do think you have to keep the door open, though, that where they're drafting, you don't necessarily move up. I think their experiment moving up a few years ago is kind of blown up in their face as far as Devin Bush goes, and they might be hesitant to do that again. But if one of those two quarterbacks 
Pickett or Willis should slide all the way to 20, I think you've got to consider it. I I think, for starters, we can say the same thing about Miles Jack. Miles Jack had, what, Doug Marone used to start. And Urban Meyer And last Urban year Meyer that, last year, which, which that, that's arguably the most interesting head coach situation of, like, ever. Well, at least for us, because with all the, I mean, it looked like, oh, the hype about who Urban Meyer was, Ohio State, blah, 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 heads the NFL, oh, will he do good, will he won't, all right, cool, then you see the decline, then you saw the drama, Mm -hmm. and led to the downfall, so uh, I think it's someone we need, I kind of was, I was hoping Steelers would go after Calvin Noy. I think he's a leader. He's, a, he's been a part of that Patriots defense. He's a leader there. He led the Dolphins when he played with the Dolphins in tackles the one season he was there. Uh, but I think it's important. Uh, but I think Miles Jack was probably the next best because we know what he can do. We know we can touch his potential. Steelers' defense has been on the up and up. I think that helps a lot. And I think Devin Bush had – I think, that to be honest, in my opinion, Devin Bush just had an off season. We know before he got hurt – during his really, really good rookie season, mm-hmm. I thought he had all the potential in the world. Right. I mean, everyone has hits and misses. So uh, I hope these two together can maybe spark something. I hope it moves something forward. Uh, with Mitch Trubisky, so my cousin actually played on the Bears while Mitch Trubisky was there. So I was a Bears fan okay. along with the Steelers. So I would pay more attention. And something you noticed about Trubisky a lot is he – I just I feel like he, if he calms down, and doesn't force a lot of this, some of these throws. He tries to play superhero. You you can have this game in the back. His his um, TD to interception ratio is about two to one. So he's I mean he's thrown his fair share of good balls. He's he is mobile enough. He's more mobile than Mason Rudolph. Um, and I think it's harder for the game now because a lot of like these hits and these big plays are coming along. That it's just more pocket present quarterbacks have been more successful, but. At the same time, then there's Russell Wilson, who's just that outlier who does everything and runs around. Right. I, I think, you know, to your point about Trubisky, um, if he's if you're asking him to manage the game, and a lot of people look at the term game manager as a, like a pejorative term, and it's, it, no, why would you? But I, I think game. there's nothing wrong with being a game manager. If you, it, it just means you're trusted to be responsible with the football and do the right thing, to your point. Um, if Mitch Trubisky is just a game manager, and he's just there to facilitate the football to Najee Harris especially, uh, but to use hopefully Pat Fryermuth to his full potential, especially in the red zone, um, and doesn't make those mistakes of trying to do too much, I think you've got a great point. There's, there's again, there's potential there. Um, but so far, it's potential. And again, I don't know if... I, I don't know if Trubisky at his best is still necessarily a franchise quarterback unless, like you said... You believe that he wasn't fairly served by the coaching staff in Chicago. I'm. I part of me also thinks real quick before we turn to maybe some more Penguins talk. I the Mika Fitzpatrick trade. How many first round draft picks did we give up? What three, three, four? No, just that one. Oh, just uh, that one. There was the one first round draft pick given up. But I think I, I, I like the fact that you know the the Steelers have changed philosophy somewhat in that regard. They never would have done that before Minka Fitzpatrick. Um, and so it's good to see them be willing to embrace that. Uh, now they're still not willing to go to the lengths of embracing it in, in so much as trading multiple first round picks, which yeah. they would have had to do for, you know, whether you believe that Aaron Rodgers hype was real or not. Um, I don't think they were ever in on Wilson, uh, or even Deshaun Watson, if you're willing to take all the off field collateral that comes with him. Um, I, ne- I never saw him coming to Pittsburgh. Yeah. I mean, you, it would have taken multiple first round picks Oh, it and, 
Kevin Colbert does not want to leave his successor in the position of, oh, I don't have a first-round pick for my first two years as GM. So um, That's I quite think, an interesting story, too. Yeah, I, I think that was that was why that was never going to happen. And I, I, I still believe, like I said, even with Trubisky, Rudolph, and Haskins in camp, there's room for a fourth arm, especially if it's a young guy who you're going to let kind of redshirt for a year. Malik Willis, they seem to have an infatuation with. Um, he's got some accuracy issues, I think, that need to be ironed out. But you want a mobile quarterback who can throw on the run, I think we've seen he can do that. At what level he can do that and how long it would take to adjust to the NFL, the speed of the NFL, um, the processing speed of the NFL, I think, is still up in the air. Uh, I would like to mention the uh, O-line. Mm-hmm. Love the O-line. Um, we, it was honestly infuriating to watch at some points last year. You, you see Najee Harris not getting far at all. So I think online additions really can help us next year. I mean, we didn't get much, but we can anything will be better than it was this year. Well, yeah, again, James Daniels, the guard. I imagine he's your starting left guard, uh, right? So Mason Cole, the guy they signed who was with, I can't remember where he was last year now. He was in Minnesota. Uh, yes, thank you. Ethan. Uh, he was with the Vikings. Middling center, but can't be worse than Kendrick Green. Um, and Kevin Dotson at left guard. I liked what we saw from him when he was healthy. And then it comes down to your tackles, and I think Dan Moore slightly improved throughout the year at left tackle. A core for at right tackle is still a question mark for me, especially the money they committed I, I, to him. I, I don't understand that sign. Yeah, personally. especially when guys like, for example, Lel Collins from Dallas was basically signed for the same amount yesterday by the Bengals. Um, but, uh, to your point, the offensive line couldn't possibly be worse, so they did improve. Uh, and I think that will help Harris. That'll help whoever the quarterback is, Trubisky or otherwise. Um, and I think that's that's a good sign going forward because they had to improve the O-line, and they're now in a position where when they draft at 20, they don't have to feel like they have to draft a certain position. Maybe they they feel a little thinner at wide receiver uh, because of Juju's departure and Ray Ray's uh, leaving for San Francisco, but uh, there's no position in the first round where they go, we have to take that. They can simply take the best player available. I... So, uh, real quick, you just sparked something in my head about the Ray-Ray McLeod. I personally never jumped on the Ray-Ray McLeod bandwagon, but this Gunnar Olszewski, out of, I've seen him play out of New England. Really, really excited to see what he can do, even on the special teams unit mainly, but maybe even on the wide receiver side. Also leaves up another p- position that leaves up. So now Deontay Johnson's your number one receiver. Mm-hmm. Okay. Frymouth, I guess you could put as your number two guy. He's a tight end. James Washington's gone. Juju's gone. Ray Ray's gone. Who do you put there? I mean, Claypool is the next guy up. Um, so, you know, I would think uh, you're going to see a lot of what they call 11 personnel where you've got a single back and a single tight end. That's Najee. That's Friar Muth. And then your three receivers are Johnson, Claypool, and might be uh, the kid from Shadyside Academy that went to Western Michigan. I'm forgetting his name off the top of my head, but he's been projected as a first or second round pick. Um, there's options out. They'll draft someone. They have to. Um, well, they have to. And, yeah. and they'll plug them in. I don't know about Olszewski just because I think he's got like eight passes in his career. He's a great, great return man. Um, if you look at guys with at least 16, 17 returns last year, so one per game, he's the second best punt return average in the league. So that's good. That's something they haven't had as a consistent returner in the last few years. Because that'll help. McLeod had, I, I think, the return against in Jacksonville when we were down there in Jacksonville that close game. I think that's about the only one where you're like, oh my god, there he goes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But yeah, no. Something that's always eluded the Steelers is that special teams, the uh, the punt and kick returns. Deontay had a last return they had was the one where he was in, where we played in Arizona, right? And Deontay scored that good touchdown. Um, so I think that definitely hits on a spot that Steelers need to touch up on, along with other spots. But that's something you do when you rebuild. So, uh, kind of keeping it in the Pittsburgh realm, turning it to uh, to the lovely sheet of ice with the two nets, a game of hockey. The Penguins. Weren't busy yesterday, but they made a really, really big move in Richard Raquel. We gave up Zach Aston Reese, Dominic Simone, uh, Callie. I'm pretty sure he was like a prospect goaltender. Mm-hmm. And then a second round, a conditional, or was it a second round pick? Second round pick. Second round pick for Richard Raquel, a f- his forward out of Anaheim. What was What's your first take when you saw this trade? What was the first thing that came to your mind? Uh, I can't believe they got him for what they got him for. I think the price they had to pay was relatively low considering – Everybody was going into yesterday morning thinking it would take at least a first-round pick to get Raquel. Um, clearly, Ron Hextall, credit to him, kind of waited out the Ducks, uh, waited until the last possible minute, stuck to his guns, and I'm not going to give you uh, an NHL-caliber defenseman. Uh, I need cap relief in order to get this guy in. Two fourth-line fourth guys. Yeah, and I'm, going to, I, I'm not going to touch my first-round draft picks. Uh, I'll give you the next best thing, but I'm not going to touch my first-round picks. So to get Ricard Raquel for a 30-goal scorer a couple times in his career, for a second-round pick, a couple of fourth-liners, and a 19-year-old goalie who, as good as he's projected to be, um, it has two or three goalies between him and the starter, and the starter's 26 himself makes as it's as good a deal I think as they could get yesterday um and to fill that spot on Malkin's wing um whether Raquel plays on his on the left side where he's suited or on his off wing on the right um I think either way the style that he plays is going to fit in very well with Malkin Malkin's had trouble finding chemistry with anybody on that line this year um some of that's Sperry Kapanen's fault um some of that is just much the way certain people seem to understand how to play with Sidney Crosby, certain people seem to understand how to play with Evgeny Malkin. You have to know how to fit in with that center and how they want to play, and I think Raquel should fit in pretty well with Malkin. So with this move, where do you think it puts the Penguins in like their division? Do you think it bumps them up a lot, or do you think it keeps them even to where they... I think it gives them a chance to catch Carolina. They're on the three-game skid. Um, yeah, I, I think the, the question is not so much whether it gives them a chance to catch Carolina or not. It's a question of how does it position you? Should you be able to get through the Rangers and probably the, the Hurricanes in some order? Um, how are you then positioned to get through what will be the arguably the toughest series of the playoffs if you get to that point in Florida or Tampa? Maybe there's an outside shot at uh, at Boston or Toronto. But here nor there, I think the, the the road to a Stanley Cup this year, because there are so many high-end teams, because there's Tampa, because there's Florida, we'll throw Carolina into the mix. And then on the other side, you've got a team like Colorado. Um, if chalk holds and you end up getting all the matchups that are dictated by record, um, I, I would be satisfied if the Penguins just got through the conference finals. Uh, And that's just because I still think there are spots where, as much as I like the Raquel trade, there's still spots where physically I question whether, for example, if they get into a series with a bigger, more physical team, how are they going to handle that, especially in front of their own goaltender? How are they going to handle that 
not as much going to the opposition net because I think they have guys that can do that despite not being the biggest. Uh, guys who just have the want to, like Gensel and Crosby. Especially um, since Hornquist left. That that leaves you a hole where you need to, you need to step yeah, up. And, and you know what? I'll be honest. I, I thought the, the loss of Hornquist was going to impact them a whole lot more than it has. I didn't think Jake Gensel would be able to step up into that role as well as he has. Yeah, take a beating. He's, he, he takes a beating, but he does it in a different way and is arguably even more effective than Hornquist, uh, even, if, even if he's not as physical. So my worry is more about in front of their own goaltender, um, as you saw against, I, I want to say it was St. Louis, uh, Nashville, um, against some bigger teams, they're going to struggle, I think, at times to keep the crease clear. Uh, and in the playoffs where you're given more latitude to play physically uh, because the refs swallow the whistle a little bit, that'll be the most difficult part of it for them, especially as you get deeper into the playoffs, right? And guys get worn down, their bodies get beat up, especially if they're not a bigger team and they're not, they're middle of the pack in that regard. Um, it'll be tough for them, in my estimation, to to, to get all the way to a Stanley Cup parade uh, because you're going to face at least one, if not two, maybe three teams that all have that size advantage on you. Um, I definitely think that the Ra- Raquel himself is um, someone who raises the Penguins' ceiling, not the floor. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're going to improve much in the standings in terms of making a massive jump, but we definitely have the potential in the playoffs to go much farther with him, I think. Yeah, no, I, I think the the key is it makes you more than a one-line team. And we've seen this week when they were out West, if you consider St. Louis and Arizona. Nashville West, uh, along with Arizona. You know, if you look at the just the last three games, for instance, that road trip, at even strength, they're controlling about 60% of the play. All four lines, not just... The Crosby line. Um, you look at instances where they even put the two-headed monster out there where they put Malkin and Crosby together. I want to say there was like eight total minutes in the last three games where those two were out together. They utterly dominate. They, they control like 85% of the play. So it's about for this team, and it was about at the trade deadline, becoming more than just a one-line team. Now part of that is finishing. Um it's why I like Rust with Malkin because Rust can be that finisher for Malkin even if he's now not on the Crosby line. Um, I think you've got to find a balance. And if you find that balance, you create you, you make it next to impossible for the opposition to match up their best defensive pair on... They can't play against both lines, right? There's only so many minutes to go around. So if they want to take away the Crosby line, okay. Do everything you can to do that. We'll send the Malkin line out. And oh, by the way, here's Carter's line too, which when Zucker is healthy, people are going to say Zucker and Kapanen might be the death knell for offense on that line. But if Kapanen gets going and Zucker's totally healthy, you put them on a line with Carter, all of a sudden you might have something. You put Rodriguez on that line instead of Kapanen. Who knows? You've got some offense generating on a third line now as well. And that's what they need. They need to come in waves. Uh, which they haven't done for the bulk of the regular season, really. It's been that top line. It's been just Crosby's line. That was their Achilles heel over the last two months or so. And I think adding Raquel fixes that, to your point. You know, it it, it gives you two lines that m- maybe it's the, the Malkin line that gets hot during a playoff series. And teams look at it and say, well, we've got to put our top defensive pair out against those guys. Well, now Crosby's line is working against the second or third pair. Um, and that's that's where Mike Sullivan comes in, too. Um, how that guy is not getting Adams Award consideration 
just dumbfounds me given all the hurdles they had to overcome at the beginning of the season, whether it was COVID or injuries or anything else. That And, and then in-game adjustments that he makes. Um, people want to get on him for playing Dom Simone on a third line before he got traded or whatever it may be. Um, the guy just gets how to hit the matchups right, and I think that shows itself especially in the playoffs. I'm very excited. Uh, this Penguins team has, like you said before, at one point there were six key players out along with Mike Sullivan, and now they're all back. They're making hits. There are a lot of guys stepping up. Um, Evan Rodriguez is the first guy that comes to my mind when he thinks step up from last season heading into this. Uh, he's taking advantage of what he's given, especially with those opportunities when you have a Crosby out or you have a winger out when you have a rust out with injury. Um, so real quick, last question before we do have to wrap it up. You, something you kind of mentioned with it, that role Rust Sullivan making those changes. I understand you really like those. What's that? So you move down Rust to the second line. Where you put Raquel? Uh, Raquel would be on the left of that line. Rust on the right. I think you leave Rodriguez up on the top line with Gensel and Crosby, uh, which I think has worked well, even if Rodriguez hasn't totally busted out of it. Uh, and then I think your third line, like I said, right now it's some mix of Heinen and Carter and Kapanen, or once you get Zucker back, he slots in there, and you can even slide Heinen, and then McGinn, once he's healthy, onto a fourth line. You've got those two playing with Bluger. It gives you Brian Boyle as like a 13th forward now, if that's the way it works out. This is what they had to, you know, this is, and again, it's the playoffs, so you're never going to have everybody healthy. So Mm -hmm. I think they've got options now, which is most important, and I think that's something that, Again, when you're just a one-line team and you kind of get stuck in that mode of, well, we've got to keep these three guys together, it, it, it does a disservice to the entire rotation, to the second and third lines especially, and it's hard to come at teams in waves the way they need to. It really, everything started plugging in. And Anaheim, we got to thank Anaheim. We also got Danton Hine in from Anaheim earlier before the season started. Um, so bringing in two key players, uh, Danton Hine has also really kind of stepped up. I'm excited to see what the Penguins do. I'm interested, especially to see goaltender-wise, heading into the playoffs, how Tristan Jari's going to handle that affair. We all know he was arguably the best goaltender in the entire Eastern Conference last year. Then new, new, uh, and then the Islanders come to town, and everything switches up on us in six games. So uh, something also you got to look forward to there. Uh, that is, however, going to be the point where we wrap up on. I want to thank Chris for coming into the studio today, recording with us. Thanks for having me, guys. No, thank you. Uh, understand that... Very busy man, great Pittsburgh sports radio man, producer, and uh, we want to thank him one more time for coming in. So thank you for giving us your time. Uh, 93.7 The Fan was Sunday mornings? Uh, Every morning. Every morning. Yeah, bright and early, 540 to 10, and then Sunday mornings on the BetQL Network. Even better. You heard it here, folks. Tune in, give them some love, and uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time. 